But I can't forget one sentence that he uttered in the course of those lectures. He said, do not neglect the revival dimension in your ministry. Hello and welcome. It's Richard Lane. Continuing looking at the book of Acts. This is part two, Acts chapter one, verses one to five. I'm going to read a translation of the Greek by Daryl Bock. Last time we looked at the ESV, here's what, how Daryl Bock translates. In the first account, O Theophilus, I treated all that Jesus began to do and also to teach, until the day God took him up after he had given a command through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had elected. To them also he had presented himself living after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them through forty days and speaking things concerning God's kingdom. And while sharing table with them, he commanded not them not to leave Jerusalem, but await the Father's promise, which he said, You heard from me. For John, on the one hand, baptized with water, but before many days, on the other, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that uh, translation is very similar, of course, to uh, the ESV, but just has a, uh, a few little aspects which... Uh, perhaps a little closer to perhaps how you might um, more, if I put it literally, uh, translate the Greek. Uh, you saw that a little bit in the way he says, on the one hand and then on the other. Uh, kind of, That's a typical Greek way of dividing uh, two parts up and uh, it comes out a little bit more strongly than, say, the ESV. I'm going to share a few reflections looking at those particular verses in a few moments in this episode. But first, a little comment about the purpose of these this podcast series on the Book of Acts. It really is an exploration of the book. I'm looking at what the book itself says and looking at what other people have written and said about the book and then seeking to grow and deepen in both my own understanding and I hope as you listen that it'll stimulate your own thinking. So it's good to have the Bible open before you and uh, I hope along the way there might be some little sections that are helpful, a quote here and there, something that will provide insight, of course seeking to grow in our understanding of the scriptures uh, here in the book of Acts. I have a book of uh, old, ancient Christian commentary on Scripture, and I begin by uh, quoting some words of John Chrysostom. He was in the 4th century. Uh, you may be familiar with his uh, prayer that we sometimes pray in our church. Almighty God, you have given us grace to bring before you with one accord our common supplications and you promise that when two or three are gathered together in your name, you will grant their requests. Fulfill now, Lord, the desires and petitions of your servants, as may be most expedient for them, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth, and in the world to come life everlasting. Well, Chrysostom uh, spoke about uh, 
this uh, second book. Uh, he says, To many people, this book, both its content and its author, is so little known that they are not even aware it exists. I have therefore taken this narrative for my subject, both to initiate those who are ignorant and so that such a treasure shall not remain hidden out of sight. For indeed it will profit us no less than the Gospels themselves, so replete is it with Christian wisdom and sound doctrine, especially in what is said concerning the Holy Spirit. Let us then not pass by it hastily, but examine it closely. Well, that really uh, captures much of the sentiment about how I feel about the book in uh, coming to this uh, podcast episode, uh, which uh, has at its base this idea of revival. And the Book of Acts, I think, as we'll see, certainly has plenty of instances which might be uh, well fit into that category of revival. So to be studying the Book of Acts is uh, very fitting with that original goal. Uh, Later on in this episode, or it may be the next episode, depends how our time goes, I will actually be sharing a short excerpt of Revival on the Isle of Lewis. Uh, Sounds from Heaven is the book I'm reading from. But first, let's uh, return to uh, Acts 1, verses 1 to 5, and... I do so by noting that here we have, uh, in this second book, uh, uh, written to O. Theophilus, uh, instructions given by Jesus to the apostles. Perhaps you ask, who was this Theophilus? And there's been plenty of debate about that because we really don't know. Uh, some people even wonder, could the name can literally mean God lover? Was it just a general term sort of capturing anyone? But it, I think the uh, case can be well made that it is uh, a real person who was a bit like a, uh, a person of um, a patron for Luke and his writings. Darrell Bock has this to say. I share it because I'm just amused by the way he expresses it. He says, In treating Luke chapter 1, verse 3, Bock suggests that Theophilus' identity is unknown, but that he appears to be a person of high social standing and could well be a Christian Gentile wavering in his faith because of the pressure placed on the church. Uh, I chuckle over that because uh, this is Darrell Bock writing, and he refers to a book that he's written, and he says, Bock suggests, rather than I suggest, which just uh, almost seems to echo the whole identity of Theophilus and what's going on, the confusion. Uh, but nonetheless, it seemed to me, I just take it that he's uh, someone who is uh, interested in the faith, perhaps wavering, and uh, here is Luke uh, writing this uh, two-volume work uh, for him and, of course, for the early church. And uh, uh, Theophilus, perhaps, are supporting them in and through that. We don't know much more. Uh, it's not highly important. The key is uh, what then follows. And what follows, uh, I in this in this chapter, opening chapter, a key theme is the theme of the ascension. Uh, there's a couple of. Uh, that's the, the taking up. We see this in uh, verse 2, uh, where we're told Jesus 
began to do and to teach in the first book until the day when he was taken up. Uh, now, uh, I take that's referring to the Ascension, though there is a bit of uh, discussion about exactly what uh, that may involve also the uh, crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, so I could spend a while, but I won't uh, going into that debate. But then we read, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And Jesus then gives this foundation ministry of the apostles. He uh, instructs them. And uh, here I turn once more to John Stott's excellent commentary in the Bible Speaks Today series, where Stott outline, uh, notes that Luke outlines four stages. First, that Jesus chose them. Uh, they were the apostles he had chosen. And uh, we'll see in the second part of chapter one how one apostle needs to be replaced after the uh, dismal failure of the traitor Judas. So firstly, Jesus chose them. Secondly, Jesus showed himself to them. Uh, to them, verse 3, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs. Uh, he uh, appeared to them and uh, clearly visible and he spoke to them uh, about the kingdom of God. Thirdly, uh, we see Jesus uh, uh, commanded or commissioned them in uh, verses 3 and 4, having uh, spoken, being told he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Uh, verse 4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, uh, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many day, days from now. Uh, so he, he commissioned them. He gave them instructions, certain instructions through the Holy Spirit. Uh, we could, I'm not going to spend time here reflecting upon those instructions, though not uh, certainly as we look Further on the book of Acts, I'm sure uh, some of that will be unpacked. And then uh, part four, uh, Stott says, Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit. In the upper room, uh, in the book of John, Gospel of John, Jesus already promised the apostles that the spirit of truth would both remind them of what, he'd been, what he had taught them and supplement it with what he had not been able to teach them. And now Jesus commands them to wait in Jerusalem until the promised gift has been received. And so here is this uh, fourfold equipment of the apostles of Christ. What is an apostle? Well, uh, the simplest uh, understanding of the apostle, the word apostle simply means sent one. Uh, here they are, they've been commissioned. But uh, there's a sense where, as we see, Later on in the chapter, that these are apostles with a capital A. Uh, these are ones who have uh, been witnesses to Jesus, and uh, uh, it's to them that Jesus 
speaks and then sends them out. Well, Daryl Bock uh, picks up on Stott and summarizes Acts 1 verses 1 to 5 in this way. He says, uh, here we have a review of the resurrection of Jesus and his setting up of their enablement for mission. I interrupt him here and uh, pause and think about what is being stated there because it is quite astonishing. Here are this small group of people and their mission is to the entire world. And, uh, of course, their immediate world in the first century, but it is really the foundation for a mission that continued through the ensuing 20 centuries. And it's quite astonishing to see that this is this meeting time here is uh, very much uh, the preparation for that, or the final preparation, because really, as we see, this is the second volume. The first volume was very much the preparation, the instruction for the disciples. Well, Darabok goes on. He says, The apostles benefit from Jesus' choice, his revelation, his commission, and God's promise of the Spirit. And here, Bock is uh, picking up exactly what John Stott has said. They cannot proceed without, without the enablement of the new era the Spirit of God. This provision from the Father was promised long ago. The faith has ancient roots. As the apostles return to Jerusalem, they can be assured that the suffering of Jesus did not end the story of the kingdom, but was part of God's program. Jesus is raised, alive, and ready to bestow the blessing they need to carry out the mission he will give them. How he is able to do this is what the Ascension will show as he prepares to tell them their mission. These are the goals of the next section of the introduction, along with one other point, namely, what is left for Jesus to do. Well, there's a little summary introduction of Acts 1 verses 1 to 5. But... uh, Just note a couple of key terms. I've already mentioned apostle, but it's also vital we see that it's the Holy Spirit who uh, is mentioned here, mentioned twice in verse 2 and verse 5. And of course, uh, verse 8 will be uh, another reference to the power of the Holy Spirit. or the power that comes when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And uh, here we have some uh, key aspects of key terms. And the other one that I want to highlight is the the kingdom of God. And at the end of uh, Tom Wright's little popular book, Acts for Everyone, he has uh, some a little glossary of terms. And kingdom of God is one... Uh, which he sums up in this way. He says it's best understood as the kingship or sovereign and saving rule of Israel's God, Yahweh, that is the Lord, as celebrated in several Psalms. And you might like to look at uh, Psalm 99, verse 1, and prophecies such as Daniel 6, verses 26 to 27. Because the Lord was the creator God, When he finally became king in the way he intended this would involve, setting the world to rights 
and particularly rescuing Israel from its enemies, Kingdom of God and various equivalents became revolutionary slogans around the time of Jesus. Jesus' own announcement of God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, redefined these expectations around his own very different plan and vocation. His invitation to people to enter the kingdom was a way of summoning them to allegiance to himself and his program, seen as the start of God's long-awaited saving reign. For Jesus, the kingdom was coming not in a single move, but in stages, of which his own public career was one, his death and resurrection another, and a still future consummation another. And then he also notes that uh, in the book, in the Gospel of Matthew, it's usually translated, uh, referred to as the kingdom of heaven, uh, which is apparently a regular Jewish practice uh, where they said heaven rather than God. And that's why it's used. Uh, so that's a, that's a key notion and understanding uh, to uh, that really you could spend a lot of time uh, unpacking and developing. And it is also worth noticing that the kingdom of God, it appears at certain points uh, through uh, the gospel, uh, the book of Acts, I think about six or seven times, and uh, we'll look at those at various points, I think. By memory, Luke chapter 19, verse 8, I think is one. Uh, uh, yes, uh, when Paul came to Ephesus, he entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But on the whole, uh, the... Gospel, uh, the, the Gospels are the place where this terminology of the kingdom of God is used most often in the New Testament. And uh, when we come to uh, verse 6, we're going to have the question raised about the kingdom being restored to Israel. What does that mean? So this is something we have to kind of uh, reflect upon, think about as we go through the book of Acts, as well as uh, the Holy Spirit. And here Jesus gives instructions they are to wait. And you may have picked up when I read from Box translation that uh, in verse 4 he spoke about uh, sharing table, uh, Jesus sharing table with them. The ESV has the translation and while staying with them and has a little footnote uh, right down the bottom. Always uh, hard to actually see it there, but it actually says... Uh, or swelling up, uh, and while swelling up with them, I don't really know why they have that as the translation, the one I was thinking about. Uh, there is a bit of uncertainty about the actual verb here in the Greek, uh, but it's uh, David Peterson notes, uh, or, and Daryl Bock, I think, uh, that the, the word uh, could be uh, literally translated as eating salt with, and so appears to refer to table fellowship. I like that phrase, eating salt with. That's sort of assumed that you, when you sit down to eat, you're going to have salt added to your meal, so you, you add it. And uh, as I've thought about that, it's just been sort of sitting there in the back of my mind, uh, wondering if, uh, you see, when Luke uses these words, uh, there is often something extra in the way he's chosen. And uh, he's, uh, his uh, language is... 
you know, often has layers of of meaning. Uh, it's not that he, he he doesn't talk down to his readers. He but he uh, well here I quote again uh, Tom Wright, uh, who says uh, he's he's kind of not. Uh, Luke's writing isn't just the, the popular level, it has a slightly different. Uh, it's not necessarily the tabloid newspapers, if you use a modern analogy, but it's more like the Times Literary su- Supplement or the New York Review of Books. And I've noticed this as I've read through Luke, that uh, there are words that he's chosen that have uh, perhaps a couple of options as to where you might take them. Uh, so Wright says he doesn't talk down to his readers. His book is such a page-turner that anyone who enjoys a good story will, will be drawn along with excitement the whole way, even if he then leaves them with something of a puzzle at the end. And uh, so I, I have been thinking about this word and uh, wondering about that notion of salt. Did Luke have something else in mind as he referred to it? with When they sat with Jesus, were they... Uh, I guess we think of salt. Uh, there are a number of references in the Old Testament, uh, the, I think the salt of the covenant. Uh, in Matthew, of course, there is that reference to being the salt of the earth. But uh, the particular one I'm thinking, because uh, Luke, uh, having written the first volume, uh, is Matthew 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Well, it's the Lucan version I was particularly thinking, um, maybe in the back of his mind. Uh, salt is good, Luke 14, verse 34. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And uh, perhaps uh, Luke is conscious that Jesus is preparing his disciples and uh, by sitting with them in this way, he's uh, giving them instructions, preparing them, commissioning them, and he wants them uh, to be indeed useful for the kingdom of God. Well, that is certainly a prayer for all of us. And uh, I was going to share from Sounds from Heaven, the revival on the Isle of Lewis. But I think I'll save that for uh, the next section when we look at the power that they received when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Thank you for joining with me. (music) 